Welcome to Glorious Professionals, episode 22, brought to you by GoRuck Media. I'm Jason, here with Emily. Our guest tonight is Chad Malone. Chad holds a doctorate of physical therapy from George Washington University and works in healthcare in Washington, D.C., where he's also the owner of Capital MMA and Elite Fitness Lorton. We got to meet Chad and his wife and kids at GoRuck Selection last year. We stayed in touch, and after he posted some of his thoughts on the current state of race relations in America, I reached out and asked him if he'd come on the show to share his story and perspective. Chad, welcome to Glorious Professionals. Thanks for having me. All right, so your kids are in bed-ish. Our kids are ish. in bed-ish. It's a little <laughs> bit after 9 o'clock on a, on a Saturday, and uh, just wanted to kind of dig in. To, to some of your story and your perspective. Yeah. And since my getting back in touch with you started out with a post that you made, let, mm -hmm. let's catch everyone up and fill us in. All right. Here it goes. This is what I wrote to all my white friends who have sent texts, messaged, and asked if I was okay. I'm sorry I lied. I probably told you that I was okay. This is because I'm strong and very fortunate. I was raised in a home with both parents. I was on honor roll at school and earned an athletic scholarship to college. I earned a bachelor's degree and then a doctorate. I have a career in the health field and I'm a business owner with a family of my own. But regardless of all the things I have done right in my life, this does not change the fact that I grew up with the history of slavery in my family. My earliest visual memories include people who look like me being attacked by dogs, police officers and high pressure hoses, simply because they asked for equal rights. I remember the Rodney King beating and the riots that ensued, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Maude Aubrey, and George Floyd, and the legal assassination of countless other Black men and women who look just like me and my brothers have become an everyday expectation. And God forbid, I hope to expect justice for the lives of the men and women whose lives are unjustly cut short. Despite my degrees and contributions to my community, I still get followed by security in the stores. If there is a white customer in the store along with me, I can expect them to be served first. I know not to run late at night because I've been trailed by police officers when all I was doing was going out for a jog. I've had my house raided because I fit the description of a black male that drives a certain car. I've had the police officer pull a gun on me as I reach for the wallet after he asked me for my license and registration. I have family members who served in Korea and the Vietnam War to return home, not as a hero, but I'm going to go ahead and use the word, but just another nigger in America. I have seen and experienced all of this. I have a doctorate degree, own a home, still married to my wife, and follow all the rules, yet I do not expect to get fair treatment in this country because I know the color of my skin will have direct implications on how certain people judge me. <clears throat> I also realized that these same people will put people like Stacey Dash and Candace Owen out as a token for our race to speak for us despite the vast diaspora upbringing backgrounds that we represent. We're the only community where it's routine for one of us to be chosen to speak for our whole community. And I only speak for my community because this is the only community that I have experienced in. We are forced to decide between our community and those who are sworn and protected. We are pitted against our own laws and the system of the country in which we live. 
And then we get messages from those who pretend to respect us to say, well, if George Floyd had have done this or done that, then he would have been uh, still been alive. If Trayvon Martin had have done this or done that, he would still be alive. If Lando Castillo, if Ahmaud Arbery have done this or that, they would have still been alive. Well, I say that the justice system that is supposed to protect us all equally had have done their job and they would all still be alive. Or maybe if Colin Kaepernick's First Amendment right hadn't been, had have been respected, then maybe they would have heard the words behind the protests. Or maybe Tommy Smith and John Carlos's protests. So Joe Green or Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And these are just the athletes that chose to forfeit their prosperity for equal judgment of the people that look like me. So don't tell me that you respect me and then turn a deaf ear when I tell you that I'm hurting. I don't need more likes or comments, friends or degrees. What I want is equal protection under the law and equal opportunity, not just for the fortunate like me, but for everybody in this country. So no, I'm not okay, but I'm strong. My people have made it this far after 400 plus years of slavery and oppression. My grandfather taught me to hold my head up high. My parents taught me to never quit. So I'll be okay. And that's why I tell you that I am. So that was my post. That's powerful, man. What was the reaction you got? Mostly positive or? Um, the, the reaction was positive. Um, honestly, I, I didn't expect, just like I said in the post, I, I, I didn't care if anybody had acted to it or not. I had some stuff I needed to get off my chest. And the, the, response, was, the response was very positive. And that, that definitely helped turn my mood around. So I'm, I'm fortunate to have uh, friends around me that are, are willing to at least have conversations about what's going on right now. So I was ha- real happy about that. So what was this sort of right before y- you post that? And I, I want to get into a lot of it because I think this is exactly yeah. the type of, I want to get into your story, right? Yeah. But just because you've just read that, like what was right before that you're like, I, I, this is it. I got, I got to take a stand. All right. So it goes way back, man. It's just not the first time and you get sick of it. Like, like I said in the post, man, I, I grew up with, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time real close to both my grandparents and then in, and, and my, and my parents were in my life growing up. And both of my grandparents are products of, of the great migration or, or were part of the great migration. So, um, both my grandparents came from, you know, from the South, my, my maternal grandfather moved from Alabama to the Midwest. And then my grandfather on my father's side also moved from the South up to the Midwest, both in areas that were hit by race riots in the 50s and 60s in uh, East St. Louis and Inkster, Michigan, that had some of the worst race riots of that time. Like I said in the post also, you know, my one grandfather, he was an educator. Um, but before that, you know, he was a, in high school, he was a great athlete. Um, then he got drafted and he went to the Vietnam War, came back, obviously, you know, missed those athletic years, but he still, you know, pushed through, went to college, and then he became an educator and was, you know, a teacher, principal. And my my other grandfather was a lawyer, ended up being a corporate lawyer. Um, they both experienced in their life, you know, a lot of racism. It legit directed the ways they went in their life. My father's father, my paternal grandfather, for instance, was the corporate lawyer for a major oil company. And my, my grandfather was brilliant and did a lot of good work. At a certain point, they literally just came in his office and said, you know, we're going to give this white guy your job. You can either be fired or you can retire today. 
and he was forced to retire. They paid him out, probably not as much as they would have paid the next guy. Um, but that was the end of his career and as a, you know, as a corporate lawyer. So how does that work? I mean, how is that passed down through your, your family? I mean, you're telling me this story. Like I've got stories about my grandfather. I don't have a story like that. Yeah. And so what happens is, is like you grow up with this. So you grow up with these stories. You grow up with, you know, my, my grandfather showing us pictures of these riots and telling us, you know, because you don't get it in school. You still don't get it in school, especially back, you know, when we were in school, you, you didn't get it. Um, you only got the side of the history that they, that they wanted you to have. And so my grandparents and my parents made sure that we knew, you know, the struggles that not just our family, but the black community have have gone through um, from from their time to, to then. You get this. And as a kid, you know, you're a kid, so you don't really take it in. You hear it and it's just a story. And the first instance that ever really got to me was Trayvon Martin. You know, that was that was the first one where at that time I was an adult. You know, I was I think I was in my early 20s at the time. Well, you know, well, there was Rodney King, but Rodney King, again, I was a kid. So Trayvon Martin was the first one that actually got to me. Um, and you hear the story and it just does not make sense. And I remember sitting there watching the, the broadcast when they were going to announce the verdict for for George Zimmerman. And I'm like, oh, you know, there's no way he's going to get off on this. Like he killed a kid. For no reason. Um, he followed the kid. The police officers told him not to follow him. He engaged the kid. He instigated the whole thing. And then you get to kill him. And then he gets off on, you know, with with no remorse and, and no repercussions. And so that was the first one that got to me. And then they start hollering up. And it's a name after name after name. And I've, I've always been the type where, you know, I don't really like conflict, especially verbal conflict. I'm not, you know, I talk a lot to the people that I know but I'm not really a talkative guy. So all of this, I would hear it and you would just take it in and internalize it. And, you know, in my realm, I encounter a lot of people, a lot of people of different races, you know, white, you know, everybody. And I never wanted to offend anybody by, you know, sharing my pain with them. So I kept it all in. And the Saturday that I wrote that post, I'm sitting here and it was the Saturday after the riots. So the riots were started that Monday and this is Saturday. And you have, you know, everybody on the news, you know, blaming Antifa for the riots and, and blaming, you know, taking pictures of the riots and looters. And then it moves from that to, you know, well, George Floyd, you know, did this and he did that. And, you know, he, I think they even tried to say he had health conditions that led to his death and he had drugs in his system. Man, I'm in the health field. You can't tell me that hypertension and cholesterol are, is going to lead to sudden death. Like, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes. And and he has some drugs in the system. Okay, I probably have some drugs in my system right now, too. The majority of Americans have some drugs in the system right now. He doesn't have the level that's going to cause sudden death. Eight minutes and 46 seconds is not suddenly. Right, right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just livid. And, and they do this over and over again. They did the same thing with Trayvon Martin. Oh, well, you take somebody, you kill them, and then you demonize that person so that the person who, who committed the crime gets off on it. And then we're stuck with the story of, oh, well, 
if he had have done this, if he had have just complied, and why was he taking pictures holding a gun, and why was he, you know, have his middle finger up in, in on the on Facebook, and all right, well, people live checker pass, but that doesn't give somebody else the right to come and kill them. You you know, just there, then and there, because you have a badge, or for whatever reason, I don't care whether you have a badge or not, it's not your right to do that. And then they they demonize the person, the victim afterwards. So that's what really got to me, man. Especially this time that they try to pull it on some BS health issues. Like that's that, like I'm not that we're, we're not that dumb. So what was it like with Trayvon Martin then, and, and compare it to compare it to now? The sort of emotional response. The yeah, and and not just yourself. I mean, how do you? I mean, do you talk to your wife about this? Do you talk to your kids oh, yeah. about this? Like, how do you how do you process it? Yeah. So when when Trayvon Martin happened, Jasmine and I had just got married, um, and it was hard for me to concentrate on that one also because my mom was going through, I think, her second bout of breast cancer this time, and so, you know, I wasn't all there. But either way, you know, I was young. I, I hadn't found my voice yet. So I, you know, you you take it, and it, it's sad to say that a lot of uh, minorities or black people. I'm just going to say black people because I don't know what other people think. I know the black community. Uh, that seems really fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we we've gotten to a point where it's just like we just throw our hands up in the air and like, all right, well, this is how it is. There's nothing I can do about it. And that's literally what what I did with with Trayvon Martin in my heart. I was hoping, but when he got off on it, I said, well, that's America. He's, you know, he's out on the streets. He's good to go. The difference between that and now is that, you know, I found my voice. That's for sure. And not only that, but, you know, I've, I've come to a point in my life where it's like, you're either going to value me for who I am, respect who I am and what I have to say, or, or you don't, and I don't need you in my life. So that's it. Um, Okay, so let's let's back up just a little bit more. You, you talked about your your grandparents. Talk to us about your your parents. Then, I mean, what are yeah? Because in their generation, you know, they saw different things, and then yeah. your your kids are going to see different things and be influenced stronger by by other things. So, what was it like at, at home growing up? Um, my my upbringing was. Um... You know, it was, I guess it was average. It wasn't perfect, but, you know, I had both parents in my home and we weren't beat or anything. But so to give you context, I have to take it even further than that. For most black people my age, you can count back four generations and you find slavery. So my great grandmother, she just passed um, last November. Her parents were slaves and became sharecroppers. So she grew up in the fields. So she passed down, you know, that history to my grandparents and, and then that gets passed down. So the way we were raised is like you weren't raised as if you were part of this country, really. So I have this conversation with with a lot of my friends now. So I, I get the question sometimes where people see that I do like the go rock events and stuff. And they're like, well, well, how come you never joined the military? You would have been great for that stuff. And the answer is, is because we didn't grow up in that same America where you aspire to serve a country because that country didn't serve us. You know, we grew up where it was common. It's like you put everything, you know, my grandfather, for instance, put everything into a career. And then that career is somebody can just come and take it from him because he's black. And so we were raised, you know, 
this is your country. Like, you know, you should be proud to be American, but, but you can't trust them because at any given moment, you know, this could be you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about that and, and how much of like the promise can't be, can't be fulfilled by that. You know, you have your grandparents telling these stories to your parents and, and there's got to be this hope that things are going to get better. Right. You know, yeah. like the each generation, like, well, maybe it'll be different, but it seems like what you're telling us is that you're, they're telling us, Hey, you can't trust the system. So here's the other way. This is how, yeah. this is, these are the rules that we have to follow to, in order to yeah. stay alive, you know, to, to, you know, protect ourselves, to band together. I mean, yeah. I mean, here you are, you know, four generations from removed from slavery and you're going to have to have this conversation with your son yeah. on some level and hopefully it will be better. But I, I hear my, uh, my friends in the black community saying the same words, I'm sick and tired. Yeah. And, and this is where it's at. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, my son is eight, and we have already had to have multiple talks with him um, about this. The other day, we were playing in the backyard because you can't go, you can't go to the pool. So we, you know, blow buy a little blow-up pool. So the kids are playing in the blow-up pool. I get off of work a little bit early, so I come and I, I take him and our little little boy who lives around the corner from us, take him on bike rides. So the little boy who lives around the corner from us, you know, I'm fortunate, but that I have parents who taught us certain things is so that we, you know, so that we're not a, a, a target, you know, we're not given any extra ammunition. So my father and mother had had certain talks with me. So the little kid, his parents obviously didn't have the same talk with him. So he's just running around the neighborhood with no shirt on. And at first I'm sitting here, I'm like, you know, he's a kid. So I'm not worried about it at all. And then they had this talk with me. We had a pool in our neighborhood, and I used to walk around the neighborhood back and forth to the house without my shirt on. And I thought I had some muscles, so I like to show off my muscles. <laughs> I came in the house one day, and my, my, my dad was like, you know, don't walk around here without a shirt on. And I'd say, oh, okay. And, you know, I never really asked him why, because you don't ask him why, because you just get beat then. <laughs> so, so I said, all right. But in my head, I'm just thinking, well, he's just saying that because he's a fuddy-duddy. And, you know, he's getting his beer belly. And he doesn't want to walk around with this shit on. So he's telling me the same thing. <laughs> and now I'm having that conversation with, with the neighborhood kids and my sons. And I realized it wasn't, it had nothing to do with my dad being a fuddy-duddy. It's because, you know, you're already black. So you're already a target in some people's eyes. And then you walk around with no shirt on and now you're a thug. So the same reason why I can't, I don't run at night, you know, because... You you know you're you're running through a community or running through a neighborhood. Next thing you know, somebody thinks that you're running because you are you, you know you're trying to escape the scene of a crime or something like that. So it's sad that you I had to have that talk with my eight year old son in in 2020 about why he can't walk around with no shirt on even though it's 90 degrees outside. And he's probably super jacked like you. <laughs> he, he was happy to think he said he can make his muscles move like mine. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, but it's it's true. We don't, our, our boys run around with their shirts off all the time. I've never even thought about making them put on a shirt outside because yeah. they, it would make them, you know, more of a target. And, you know, I, we've seen a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot over, you know, the last few weeks and, you know, I'm not, 
proud to say that I didn't know a lot of these things, but a lot of it is this, it wasn't taught, right? Yeah. And I didn't have yeah. all these conversations, but to think about where the, the slave patrols came from and, you know, this, this hmm. history that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's not, it's not in the books, you know, you have yeah. to search for it, but it's, it's, it's good to, to know these things and yeah. to, to be able to talk about them now and, and to talk about them with our children too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, I had a conversation with one of my patients. I, I love, I love what I do because of the people that I meet and I, I get to meet a lot of older guys and women who have really cool stories. So I, I had this one patient who, um, he was, he was a white guy, he was a lawyer. Um, but this guy, you know, he had like two PhDs and he was taking master's classes. Dude is like 80 years old. <laughs> I think he went to Harvard and I was asking, you know, what did it take to become a lawyer? Why did you go into this? And he's, he's telling me that, you know, when he was, um, doing his pre-law, his undergrad, they had two choices if they wanted to become a lawyer. They could either major in history or philosophy. And I say, well, that's interesting. And it makes me think because there's that phrase all the time, you know, if you don't know your history, then you're bound to repeat it or something like that. And if that's so true, and if it's so important for a lawyer to either understand history or philosophy, why do we hide the full history of this country like we do? And, and this is why this thing keeps repeating. Like if you think about the freedoms of the slaves and the freedoms and the oppressions of the slaves and where we are today, there's not a whole lot that happened to make sure that everybody is equal in this country despite of race. You know, you have the amendments that were passed so that you can't legally have slaves unless you're in jail. Because if you're in prison, then you can still be a legal slave. But there is not there, there was not much done. The history is hidden and the system hasn't changed. It's just that, you know, you're not in chains anymore. And then people just sit there and expect to say, well, this is, you know, 400 years later, you should be caught up by now. But how? How do you expect everybody to be caught up? Um, again, I was fortunate that I had two parents in the home and both my parents worked and education was paramount in my household. Yeah. I have to say, I have to admit that I never had heard about the Tulsa massacre until <laughs> like the last couple yeah. weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. just like a huge piece of history. I mean, it was like known as mm -hmm. the Black Wall Street and it just, yeah. you know, massive attacks and just something that I, I, I like loved history and I, you know, studied really hard. It's probably not something I missed. It might not have been there, but I mean, how did... Did you learn about that separately, like through through your parents or your grandparents or church or friends? Like, yeah. how did you how did you hear about these things? Um, when you get older, you start to appreciate these things. But I've always had a, a good community around me, whether it been the old school Southern Baptist church that we grew up in, to my grandparents, where you know passing down these histories and education were important. To I'm not a big reader, so you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do audio books and stuff now, but you know, that's, that's how we had to, to learn things. I, I'm sitting, I'm looking at this, this book that my, my grandfather gave me, this coffee table book that he had, um, uh, with thousand and one things everyone should know about African-American history. So this is the book that was on his coffee table that, you know, he sent me home with one summer after we visited him. 
so that's that's where we would get this from. We have to search for it, but it's it's important to know because you know, it, it directly impacts us. Mm-hmm. You know, take Muhammad Ali for instance, a good friend of mine. Well, you know, he's, he's my brother. He's not just a good friend of mine, Paul. He's my brother. Mm-hmm. So we were talking last summer, and he had just watched the the documentary that they did on on Muhammad Ali. Um, I think it was on HBO. Mm-hmm. And so we were having a conversation, and he was saying, "Well, you know, he always thought growing up that Muhammad Ali was just a draft dodger, and you know, in a box of the Rams' mouth." And it's not it's not Paul's fault that that's all new because you know that's what was promoted about him trying to tear his character down but it took somebody putting forth effort to you know spread the information that you know he wasn't just a draft dodger you know he had principles that he was standing up for and he was a pillar in his community and that he was more than just a you know a loud mouth boxer much more than a loud mouth boxer but the history is not passed along when i was in school the only two black people you would learn about was martin luther king and george washington carver those damn peanuts that's all you that's all you will learn about no Harriet Tubman I don't I don't, I don't remember learning about Harriet mm. Tubman maybe they, they might have briefly ran over it and talked about the Underground Railroad because I remember thinking about well how do trains go underground <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I remember thinking um yeah. it, and and then also you know I went to Howard University so you know the discussion comes up every now and then in my groups is you know why do you still need historically black colleges in this day and age. Well, you need historically black colleges because without them, number one, a lot of this history will be lost because the records are there. You know, you we had to take a certain amount of African American history classes um, mm-hmm. or just straight up African history classes. Like it was mandatory because this is who you are. So you should know you should know your history. You know, we're I'm gonna say it, we're the only culture where we are demonized for being proud of of who we are if if i make efficiency black lives matter why why are you mad because i'm proud of who i am and i say that our lives matter i'm not saying that yours doesn't because i'm proud of of my history doesn't mean that you shouldn't be proud of yours you should you should be as proud of yours as you are of mine so you know that's one reason why hbcus are important for the history but also you know even still to this day a majority of the black doctors, dentists, and lawyers in this country come out of HBCUs, particularly Howard University, because it's the most illustrious HBCU in the land. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay, so so Chad, to, to sort of take it up a notch, right? So I'll give you my I'll give you my perspective before I ask this. So on a special forces team in the military, that's where I saw diversity work. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got people coming from all over the country and some some fighting to become citizens. And, you know, you come and everybody has this different background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got some guys that were mechanics, some guys that were bankers, some guys that were, I mean, take your pick. You, you literally have had all of it, especially right after 9-11 when you got all this wave of people who, who came in. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's the old adage about, you know, if, if you saw a full metal jacket, it's like, you're all equally worthless in, in the eyes of your drill sergeant. And, yeah. You know, that, that's kind of the culture and you see it work really well. And th- there is kind of a life or death take on diversity, meaning everybody's not supposed to be the same. 
and and I don't want to equate equality with the same because I think there's an element of justice that that we'll get to in in a second. But diversity was celebrated like that. It's like mm-hmm. if one dude's strong and one dude's fast, guess what? That's awesome because you'll you'll be in different situations, and the fast dude's going to be first in the door, and the strong dude's going to be you know kicking the door in whatever. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a million situations like that. And so equality is thrown around to me. I equate it to, to justice. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, watching what, what those police officers did, I mean, it's just straight up wrong and Mm -hmm. they, they should go to jail and it's, it's not okay in any circumstance whatsoever. Like if you're doing that job and I've done that job to a certain extent overseas, not, not here. It's, it is a very difficult job. It's hard mm-hmm. to police large crowds. It's, there's mm-hmm. emotions. It, you, you have to sort of, the, the people that are making, a, making your life hard when you're in law enforcement, you have to almost dehumanize them in order mm-hmm. to hopefully make good decisions. In some case, you make bad decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm getting at though is how do we, how do we have this country that's unified while still respecting diversity, because I don't think we want to just take everybody and say, everybody's same, same, everybody's equal. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of words get tossed around a lot of different ways. How do we do it so that you're right. You you should not lose your history. That's sacred. Mm -hmm. Your, your roots, your family will always have those roots for better, for worse, for, I mean, it's obviously a huge stain on uh, the original sin of, of America, right? Slavery. It's mm-hmm. and nobody's proud that, that anybody did that, but it is what it is now, right? To, to a certain extent, like that, that is your past. Yeah. And, and that's our country's past. That, that's right. what happened. Now, how do we, how do we, because I believe that diversity makes us stronger, right. period, the end. And so how do we figure out a way to make this work? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I see, I see what you're saying. I'm tracking. Um, in, in every realm that I know of in studies, when you're looking at, you know, ecosystems with animals or plants, or you're talking about a business, and all these are very important. Like you can't have all of the same species living in one ecosystem because you know they're going to die they have nothing else to eat unless they eat each other if i'm running a business i don't want to have a bunch of people who think just like me because then i'm just going to do what i was going to do anyway i'm not going to come up with any new ideas america is is different um diversity obviously is important and what you just mentioned is the same that I hear about, you know, a lot of my friends who who served in the military or are in the military. And, you know, they say, you know, regardless of where you come from, day one, you're meeting people, you know, who look different than you, that grew up different backgrounds than you. And like you're forced into diversity and you and you are forced to learn the importance of it, because if you don't learn it, then you're not going to succeed anyway. I think in America, there is not enough emphasis or there's no importance on it. So you have people that don't want it. You have a group of people who don't want diversity. You have people who, you know, don't get out of their bubble. So, you know, if I grew up in rural Alabama and this is all I know, you know, I might not be a racist or a bigot, 
myself personally, but everybody that I know looks just like me. Everybody that I know thinks a certain way. So at this point, until you adopt those principles for yourself, it's just ignorance. So because you never got out of that bubble. And then you have some people, you know, who are just miseducated and and choose to stay that way. So all that's to say, diversity obviously is very important. But until there is more done in America to promote that diversity, you know, it, it's not going to it's not going to happen. And this is why I said earlier that, you know, if you look at the state of America, you know, immediately after the slaves were freed and today, not too much has changed when you think about justice and equality in this country until people in power see that it's important enough to risk their careers to push for that for for diversity it's not going to happen and i think you know too often the people who are supposed to represent us are too scared to forfeit their career they want the clout of being a congressman or a senator so they align themselves with a certain party and that's they're going to vote down the party line regardless of what they think in their heart and regardless of what their constituents want these protests show you that you know there's a lot of people that, that want diversity in America so when is when are the you know the lawmakers going to listen to this when is you know when is the change actually going to happen um, so diversity, equality, justice. I mean, I, I kind of, I keep coming back to this idea that the, there's so much energy within the African-American culture and you see it a lot of places. I mean, to me, there, there is a lot of diversity to that end. I mean, rewind a few decades, like, look, man, I'm a, I'm a white guy that loved Michael Jordan as a kid. Right. I mean, <laughs> like he Damn. could do, he could do no wrong. And, you know, still right. to this day, I mean, he was just a, a, a an enormous idol of mine. And, you know, you, you've seen businesses. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan is probably the biggest success story. But now, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, you've got you've got billboards, you've got advertisements like, look, this this is not equality. Yeah, 100 percent. So I, I, don't, I don't think this is where you were going with it. But this is one of the, the arguments that I, I hear from people that kind of just it blows my mind in that, you know, we had a black president in Barack Obama. We have Michael Jordan. There are plenty of, you know, successful black owned businesses. There are black millionaires. So there are successful, there are successful black people. And, and what certain people like to do is they say, well, you know, if they did it, despite of their race, why can't you do it? And, and for that, I, I, you know, I go back to Every everybody is not so fortunate. There are legit things, you know. There there was legislation or practices that were intentionally done to hold black people back. You had the Jim Crow laws. Everybody should know about the Jim Crow laws, but everybody doesn't. You had redlining, which kept uh, black people from moving into certain neighborhoods. I have a patient who lives up in Northwest. He was the second black person to buy a home in the neighborhood that he lives in. And on the deed of his house, it says that no black person is allowed to own that house or live in that house. So he has the servant quarters in his basement where if you were you know, wealthy and you had a servant, most likely they're a black person, they could stay there, but they couldn't live there. I had another patient. He was one of the first black people on the realtor board um, in D.C. He was investigated for two years for him to be to be on the realtor board. You know, that's not normal. 
And these these were successful people that I'm talking about. So just think like you had systems in place and still have systems in place to hold a group of people back. So nobody's saying send out a you know reparations check to everybody and and boom everybody's caught up. That's not what we're saying. We're saying acknowledge that there were systems in place and invest in helping people catch up. You know, I don't want to check, but what I would like to see is more rec centers in Southeast. I would like to see more healthy food stores in Southeast. I would like to see more educational opportunities for these kids. These kids are just running around the streets and they have nothing to do. And you wonder why, you know, crime happens because they have nothing and they don't know, you know, they're ignorant. And so it's easy to fall into that. So just because you have a few people who are successful doesn't mean there aren't a whole host of other people that are still recovering or don't even know that they need to recover. Yeah. So a couple guys at the top, I mean, that that doesn't bring a lot specifically at the community level. No. And I guess my only point was those are those are small steps forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like because because of having Barack Obama as president. It's it's a step forward for yeah. all of the good things of diversity and inclusiveness and and stuff like that. And he'll probably be remembered as the first black president and for Obamacare when you really yeah. boil it down yeah. in in a hundred years. And yeah. you know it it takes first steps to get yeah. to second steps and bigger steps. But the the thing that really angers me in this is just the injustice. Yeah, and. That is not equal treatment. It's it's just no. it's it's just a string and it's a pattern. And so, look, I you know I agree with people who are out protesting in the streets peacefully. You know, I mean, I I think that it's the only way you're ever going to get something to change. Yeah. Like sitting around, yeah. you know, <laughs> I had a cadre long time ago. He's like, hey, hope in one hand and shit in the other, and and see which one fills up first. Right. And and it's yeah. like, you can hope every generation that, well, something's going to get better, but eventually you have to do something. And yeah. does it feel like it's a little bit of shock and awe right now? <sighs> um, it feels like America on repeat. Honestly, that's what it feels like. We've been through this before. We, we protested it in the fifties. We protested it in the sixties, protested it in the seventies, in the eighties. You know, and here we are again in 2020 protesting. <laughs> You're just like, when does it stop? You know, the and when does it become acknowledged? And I think um, what what I think the beautiful thing about this time around is is that in all those protests in the past, although there were there were white people who joined in those protests and marches, um, but it for these ones in D.C. like you know, there's more white people downtown protests and then there are black people and i think that's beautiful i think what it opens up is um some white people are scared to engage and talk about this you know they're ashamed or worried or feel like they don't know what to say to their black friends and they they want to know more to help out but they don't know how to help out and so I, I that's that's one of the many things one of the small things that i can take out of this protest and i can be happy about now we're actually engaging in these conversations that should have happened years ago. I would much rather somebody sit down, talk to me, ask me about this stuff over, you know, over a beer or whatever, than to have preconceived notions in your head or, you know, going off of what somebody else told you 
that doesn't really know what they're talking about because they're they haven't experienced it. So I think it's it's opened up this dialogue and I hope it continues to go forward because I mean most black people would jump at the chance to to talk to a white person about you know how how do they feel about relations and and because here's the other thing with, that I mentioned in my post is that like the the media or certain people put out there to speak for our whole community you know and and oftentimes it's not the right person because they are not really even part of their our community they got brown skin but you know they're not marching with us they you know they didn't get that same history that I got growing up so they can pretend that it never existed because they have enough money in their pockets so they can be in certain circles where they feel like racism doesn't affect them. But if you, you know, if you go down the street in DC or wherever and you meet a handful of people, like I'm sure nine out of 10 of them can tell you at least one instance in their life where racism has, has directly affected them either in a small way or a major way. Um, so it, it, it still happens. And we would much rather have the conversations to educate people than to have ignorance continue. Because in this time, you have, you know, you have people who continue these same practices out of hatred, these same injustices out of hatred. You have the apathetic the person, because it doesn't affect them, they just are going to let it fly and pretend as if it doesn't exist. And then you have the ignorant. And not ignorant as in, like, you know, they're dumb or, or a derogatory term, but they just don't know. Mm-hmm. They've never been educated. And, you know, I have a very diverse circle, but the majority of my inner circle is black. And so I can talk to a handful of white people. And then I hope that those white people can go talk to their white friends and feel comfortable about saying, hey, I had a conversation with Chad about this. And, you know, this is how they're feeling. And then because they have that conversation, maybe their their friend feels comfortable to go talk to another black person. And this is how we get to the point where America and communities can um, embrace diversity and try to understand each other rather than just sticking with what you've been told from somebody who is not even in the community. So I think inertia is kind of one of those, the big problems, right? The, the inertia of just everyone's going about their daily lives and you live in the suburbs and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, people go about their lives and they have their social circles and you stay within those social circles and like finds like. Yeah. And what is happening now is a revolution against inertia brought about yeah. by a lack of justice. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, you know, it feels like there's a lot of momentum and I, I think that's a good thing. I mean, it, it does, as you say, hey, we're doing this again yeah. and again and again. I mean- the justice part feels not the easiest to solve because it also keeps happening, but it seems the yeah. most cut and dried to me, right? I mean, yeah. you're, everything's about to be on, on Facebook Live. Everything yeah. is, I mean, Rodney King was, that was insane. It was, it was shown because someone just sort of happened to have a video camera. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Yeah. Everybody's got a video camera now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it was, it was groundbreaking like that. Yeah. And this is what infuriates me so much is that, you know, it's, it's, it's only because we have camera phones readily available now that this is, is making the news. And that's the ones that actually make the news. You know, there was recording of Ahmaud Arbery's assassination. And that wasn't on TV until it spread virally online and they forced it to be on TV. But these, 
you know, these injustices have been happening. They've been happening, you know, for years now. And now that they're now that there's video, we are actually aware of it. So so this is a good thing though. That's my point, right? I mean, yeah. with, without the yeah, video, yeah. with yeah. I mean and, and look, I'm not condoning the violence. I'm not condoning the looting and all of this stuff. I mean, every revolution is always going to have radicals within a revolution. It doesn't mean that the revolution yeah. shouldn't go forward, right? But yeah. when when you start to say because of the technology, it's it's actually forcing, I mean, we're we're having to pull out the mirror. And lots of times when yeah. you pull out a mirror as a country, it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah, 100%. And so we can talk about the protest and how it is being received and how it is being, you know, broadcasted. And let's bring it all the way back to, to Colin Kaepernick's protest. Every protest is supposed to be uncomfortable. If it was comfortable, then it wouldn't be a protest. If our life, if the people who are protesting, if their lives were comfortable, then they wouldn't be protesting. But they're making you feel uncomfortable because they feel uncomfortable. So, you know, so again, Colin Kaepernick is demonized for speaking out on what we're protesting now. And then the protest happens and the city kind of erupted. But let's look at it this way. You know, you have an injustice that has been happening. People want to get out and protest. In this group, you have three groups of people. You have the protesters, you have the rioters, and you have the looters. But certain people want to blend all of that together. And it's not all the same. Number one, I'm not 100% against rioting. Because when you feel the pain that we have been feeling for years, like sometimes that shit comes out physically. And, and it is what it is. Like I, It sucks that businesses get broken into and burned. But damn, like people are hurting. And that's the streets talking. Like people are, some people are going to put that shit out physically. And that is just is what it is. So you can't say that riots never do any good because they make you look and they make you consider the change. Um, yeah, it's certainly, I, I, I understand your point, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. you, if, if what you're doing isn't working and you feel like it's not working, then yeah. you, you put, I mean, this is the sort of look from, this is the sort of MLK versus Malcolm X, right? D debate. And you say, look, in, in any revolution, you're going to have people at extremes. And yeah. for revolutions to be successful, look, look at history. It, it's like, it, it has yeah. to have that. And now, yeah. look, I'm not going to, I think it does a disservice. I, I'm not going to say rioting is good and I don't want violence and all of this stuff, but I understand what you're saying about the need for, to draw greater attention to the overall injustice. I get that. And right. You know, to, to go back to something to bring up Colin Kaepernick, the hardest thing that I've heard you say in, in our conversation is it's almost like it's not as much your country because it's not as equal for you and how you, you kind of have to go back into the, the black community. That's where you feel the safest and the most understood. Yeah. I'd say... Again, I'm only going to speak about my community because that's all I know about. But I, I'd say that most Black people feel like that they don't grow up in the same America as as white people do. It's it's weird to explain because you it's not that you hate your country. You definitely don't hate your country. You wouldn't want to be anyplace else, you know. But you you don't grow up with that same 
you know, there's a lot of pride to be had with, you know, my grandfather fought in this war and he was a proud American who served this country. And then my father was a proud American who served this country and everything, although there's, you know, there's bumps in the roads, everybody has bumps in the roads, but it looks like there's a clear model from one to another and there's a lot to be proud of. But growing up Black in America, there's <laughs> there's not as much to be proud of. Is You know, I, I could say that I made it, right? You know, I, I have a career, I have a good education, I have a family, and, and I have a little bit of money in my bank account. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. But at any given moment, I also know that the same thing that happened to George Floyd could easily happen to me. It, you know, has come close to happening before. Um, you know, I have friends who, you know, a police officer pulled a gun out on one of my buddies when he was a nine-year-old kid. So it's it's almost like that two steps forward, one step back type relationship. Like every time there's moments where you can really be proud of, you know, of the country, then it seems like the system of the country would do something to to let you know, hey, man, you know, you're still black, right? You're, you're only going to make it so far. Um, and, and, and it becomes frustrating. Part of the reason why it becomes frustrating to talk about because when you share this, these feelings with certain people, you know, they'll say, oh, it's just the race car. You know, it's not because you're black. That's not why you feel that, why you're getting that response. It's because of this or it's because of that. And number one, that just becomes infuriating and it makes it it makes people not want to share. But I'd, I'd ask the people who say that, you know, when your significant other tells you that they feel a certain way because they perceive that you did something a certain way. If you're a decent human being, you don't just sit there and tell them, hey, suck it up. That's not what really happened. You know, this is what really happened. You don't you don't treat people that way. But for some reason, you know, it's okay to say that black people, it's okay to say, hey, you're just pulling the race car. That's not really how it was. That's just the race car. Instead of just having the conversation and then maybe, you know, maybe getting understanding. Because sometimes, honestly, sometimes it is just me. <laughs> like, you know, I remember one time I, I took my, my wife out for our, our anniversary. We went to a really nice uh, restaurant. And we walk in there. I think it was one of those restaurants we have to wear um, a sports coat or a suit or whatever. And we don't go out to restaurants like that often. We we go to Olive Garden and stuff. But we're we're doing it up. And we walk in here. <laughs> All you can eat salad and breadsticks. <laughs> right, that's right. that's for the right. win. So, so we walk in here, and it's a bunch of rich people. And so odds are most of them are white. And we're like sitting down, and they give us this really nice seat, and we're like sitting right next to the piano. But we're like feeling awkward as hell. And we're like, man, we're the only black people in here. But I tell you what, we got some awesome service. Like we got great service. Everybody was super nice. So in that instant, yes, it was just me. But if I didn't have the background that I have, I wouldn't feel that way. So kind of it kind of goes hand in hand. But, you know, if you can have these conversations, then then hopefully, you know, our kids can go into any restaurant they want regardless of their color, not have to feel that way. I mean, we can't ask people to not be human, right? And I love what you talked about earlier about these conversations that you're having, you know, with your circle and then, you know, extended circle and hoping that go out. I mean, this is where this real change is going to begin, right? It's going to be this type of 
awareness and dialogue that's going to happen on local levels. And the next, the next part of it is go and vote and go and, and change these rules, right? And go and, and, yeah. and make these, you know, systematic, systemic changes. And, you know, yeah. I think we've been hoping a lot in each generation. I mean, hoping that it's going to get better. Right. That mm-hmm. you're, you know, our kids are going to grow up in a, in this, you know, sometimes people say this colorblind society and it's like, <laughs> those, the, it, it's nice. It's pretty, yeah but it's nice unfortunately, of. you know, really real revolutionary work is messy and it's, yeah. it's not always linear. I mean, I, I've asked some of my black friends, does this feel different? And they're like, you know, they pause and they take a deep sigh and they say, it's the same thing over and over again, but I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, but it's starting to feel a little different and I'm hoping yeah. it stays. So it's this, you know, very cautious hope. Yeah. Is, is this where you and your wife and where are you at? Yeah. I, I think we fall, we fall in that same category. I, we've, we've had a heartbroken so many times, man. And so I don't want to hope for it. Like, it's sad to say, like, it, it hurts my heart, man. I have a smile on my face, but like, you feel like you just have a, a pit in your, in your throat. It's just right here. And I don't want to get my hopes up that anything positive is going to happen because it's happened so many times and nothing positive has come of it. You know, when I have conversations like this and I and I see, you know, I went down to the plaza of the Black Lives Matter Plaza the other day and with, with one of my buddies, one of my white friends. And and, uh, you know, that cheers me up and that gives me a, lo- a little semblance of hope. But, you know, we it's it's happened so many times and nothing has changed. I, at least now, you know, both my you know, my wife and I are in a position where we can, you know, if I can affect the law, I'm going to for damn sure affect a few people um, throughout this thing. I got a bunch of people that take my classes every day when, when I do jujitsu. <laughs> so you're going to hear some stories like we're going to talk about these things. We have a little bit of money so we can donate to some of these causes. So that's what it's going to take. And I, I think um, like I don't really I don't want to cut out colorblind society like i don't want people to say colors don't matter like because colors do matter it's awesome like i love different cultures you know i want to go get some you know some mexican food and some thai food and like you know i want to learn about different cultures and i love accents but everybody is not like that like some people think that their way is the only way so let's have a big pot of gumbo like that's that's how I want our country to be. Like, <laughs> like let's mix all these flavors together. That's how it should be. Yeah. And, and let's you know let's value everybody's differences, and talk about things that we don't agree about, and and support each other. And I think this, if if there's one thing that I'm proud about with this the protest this time around is I think I said this before is how much white people have have supported this cause. Like it that that part does make me v- very happy. I hope it continues. Because what can happen is, you know, we we get a little momentum and then it's not cool anymore or, you know, people have to go back to their jobs. Mm -hmm. And what happens when it becomes inconvenient for you to stand up for somebody for something that doesn't directly affect you, will you continue to do it when it's when it's not popular anymore? Mm -hmm. And history has shown that, you know, a lot of most of the time 
it doesn't carry over. Hopefully this time it's different. Yes, I hear that a lot as well. And it's like, what is, what is going to actually change, you know, are these empty gestures, you know, how do we keep the conversation going? Yeah, I think there's there's the need to be uncomfortable a little bit. It's like, hey, let's talk about race. It's yeah. like, you know, it's just there's something to it. And yet I think that that's exactly what people need to experience. Like it should, yeah. like anything worth doing, there's going to be uncomfortable, comfortable, uncomfortable portions of it. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that the more that we're able to do that, the better. So, you know, I mean, I, it's like, what else can we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What people should do, like who are avoiding these conversations because it is so uncomfortable for them, you know, ask yourself, why is it so uncomfortable for you? Is it because you feel guilty for some reason? Or is it because, you know, whatever it is, ask yourself why this is so uncomfortable. Well, like, cause I'll tell you why. Cause it's like, it, cause it sucks, man. It's like, it's not right what's happening. And, yeah. and, and you are in a, a community that is just mathematically a minority yeah. and, you know, and it's just, it's race relations and it, it's just mm-hmm. one more pile on and it, it sucks. Yeah. And I think so, and I'm not talking directly at you. I'm just talking in this, this general person, right. Who feels they're uncomfortable with talking to a black person about this issue, but they feel like they should have that conversation. Cause like how you said, you know, you see what's going on and you know that it's wrong and it sucks. For most of us, if you're a decent human being, if you see anybody on the street that needs help, you help them. Um, and right now, talking is, you know, having these conversations is 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 one way that you can help people. And race is the issue is the matter, is, is the matter here. But between us, you know, race is just a thing. You know, it's my skin happens to be this color, your skin happens to be that color. Um you're not going to piss me off to ask me about it, you know, and that's, that's, that's most people, you know, so people shouldn't really be like, you kind of just have to get over it. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but get over it because if you really care, you will want to help and you can start helping by talking to somebody. You know, it's not black people against the police. I have plenty of friends. That are, my brother is a police officer. You know, I don't want him to get hurt doing his job to, you know, to control the crowds in these protests and stuff. I, I don't want anybody to get hurt in this in this matter. But, you know, somebody got killed and it has been happening. You know, it has been happening for years. Breonna Taylor, you know, she she hasn't gotten as much notoriety. Police came in her apartment, didn't knock, no knock warrant, come in her apartment, start shooting. They shoot her eight times. And then arrest the boyfriend for defending himself. And nothing has happened to those officers yet. They passed a law that you can't, can't do no-knock warrants anymore. But nothing has happened to these officers. So the problem beyond the officers who do these things, why is it that they are continually allowed to get away? And if you believe, if you truly believe that there is nothing wrong with the system that continues to allow people to get away with killing other people, regardless of whether you're an officer or not. This system is allowing certain people to get away with killing another group of people without any repercussions. Like you've, you've got to be like either apathetic or insane to say that there's nothing wrong with the system that allows that. So, you know, in any profession, you'll have people who really care about their profession and want to do their job. 
You know, I'm a physical therapist. When I go see a patient, I really want them to get better because I care and I do my job. But in the same profession, you have people who don't care and they're just there. And, you know, you have physical therapists that come and they'll just, you know, sit by the bedside, write some notes and walk out. You have doctors the same way. You have doctors that refuse to treat certain people because of their race, gender or whatever. Why is it so hard for us to believe that there are people who wear badges all in those same categories? But you still, again, like I say, just because you have those bad people, that doesn't put a stain on the people who are trying to do their job the right way. The problem is also that the people who want to do their job the right way and want to actually serve their community and protect the people in their community, when they stand up to try to do the right thing, they get punished. There's something broken there. So let's talk about how to fix it. I don't have the answers. You know, <laughs> I've, I, <laughs> I can't tell you. I'm not a police officer. I know the job is tough. I know it. But, you know, there's something wrong with the system. Let's talk about fixing it. We've been, it's been broken for generations now. If you try the wrong thing for, for generation after generation after generation, and, and you see that it's getting bad results, why is it so hard for us to contemplate or, or to fathom, you know, maybe we should think, change something? Nobody's even saying, but well, I'm not saying, let's throw it all away because, you know, there are going to be bad guys and there are going to be good guys. And so there are going to be people who are going to break the law. So you need police officers. But we need police officers who are actually here to serve and protect. And we need oversight. You can't police yourself. Right. Donna Taylor is a big example. They killed her. This was three months ago. And they just filed the police report on her. And it's empty. And they're allowed to get away with it. There's no details there. So... When you have people police themselves, stuff like this is going to happen. Misconduct is going to happen. So it's just, it, it amazes me that when you offer that suggestion to some people, you get demonized. And they immediately will say, well, they're against the police officers. And, you know, I'm just, just as heartbroken for the police officers that got injured and killed in the riots and protests as I am for the protesters that got injured. And, you know, I don't know if any of them got killed, but I know a number of them got injured. I would rather not have that happen on either side. Just hearing that your your brother is, is a police officer tells me you've had some probably really serious conversations with him over the last several weeks. Oh, well, I don't even talk to him about this stuff anymore. <laughs> no, is he done? <laughs> actually, actually, no, we, we did have a conversation and I, I'll tell you, um, it was, it, it was a rough one. So Tuesday was very hard for me. I remember I was only able to go see one patient. And then when I left that patient's house, I tried to get uptown and I couldn't even get uptown because of all the blockades in the street and everything. And I was just hurting, man. I was, I was infuriated. And I, I messaged my brother who is a police officer and he was upset also, even in his position. And his perspective, he is still upset because in his own office, his fellow officers are hitting themselves seemingly, what we'll say seemingly, because I, I don't know exactly what their intentions were, but pitting themselves against the, the protesters and rioters. So meaning, you know, this is, you know, this is our America. We're going to, you know, 
come down on them with the iron fist and as you're teaching them a lesson. And it's, again, I, I understand that it's a hard job and your life is on the line. But as a human, as a human being, you will hope that people are able to see past the bullshit of, yes, there's the rioting and there's looting going on and I have to go down there and do my job and I want to come home safe at the end of the day. But there are also a whole bunch of people out here who are hurting. And there are a whole bunch of people out here who are protesting, you know, the right way or peacefully. We'll say peacefully because who's to say what the right way is. And with that thought in mind, going down there doing your job, rather than the thought in mind that you're going to go down there as a bruiser, as an iron fist, as an enforcer. And that was his experience as a police officer in his own department, you know, as a black man having to go down to police a protest that he believes in. You know what I mean? So the the conflict, the conflict runs even deeper. Like, I guess I'm fortunate because I can kind of just think about, you know, one side of it. I'm not a police officer, so I don't it, to be a black police officer in this time. Like, you know, that that conflict runs even deeper than I can even understand. Look, I, I know that some of the things that you've said, I, I just frankly haven't thought about it like that. And it's it's a little hard to hear. So I'm going to have to process a little bit. It's going to be okay for me to kind of process your perspective for, for a little bit. And like, that's, that's where it starts to, to sink in. Yeah. By the way, if, if you're listening out there, it's not, it's not that uncomfortable. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, right. So it's all right. Just want to thank you for coming on. Thanks to your, your wife for taking kid duty tonight. <laughs> and um, it's, it's awesome chatting with you, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me on here. And uh, <laughs> like you said, I'm sure I said a few things that rubbed a few people the wrong way. But this is this is how I feel. This is how I feel. Yeah. I I would rather piss off a, a couple people if that means that more people will have you know an open understanding or at least start to ask questions. You know. Hey, we honest conversations. That's, that's where it needs to happen. And, and, you know, it's powerful what you wrote on Facebook and we're really, really glad to be able to, you know, continue the conversation and hope we can come up to DC soon when the quarantine's lifted and, and see you and the kids and, and Jasmine again. Yeah, man. All right. All awesome, right, awesome man. man. Thanks again for chatting. And, uh, and uh, right. we'll, yeah. we'll see you around soon. All right. See you later. All right. Later, Take man. Care. All right, so there's Chad. What do you think, Em? What do I think? Uh, I mean, some of this stuff is heavy, you know, and it, 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 it's supposed to be uncomfortable by, by nature. But at the same time, when you're talking with someone who's a friend, who, who you know, you know, you've met their family, like, it doesn't make it as daunting, right? That's something that I think is really important in what he brought about. And it's just like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have these conversations, Take it or leave it. Hope, hopefully most people will take it and, and use it to think on. And, you know, you and I don't have the same reality of growing up. I mean, having huge parts of our history left out. And, you know, that's, that's something to, like, mull over in your mind and to really to, to start to recognize. And we're just going to have to try to do better. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I told him as much. I mean, some of the things are, are hard to hear. It's hard to hear about. America, it's hard to hear when someone says that they, they have a different allegiance, at least emotionally, right? When you say- Had a necessity. Yeah. 
out of necessity. And so, you know, I mean, we didn't actually get into the Colin Kaepernick stuff with the flag and that stuff gets really messy. So look, I'm not here right now to to stand on my pulpit and and tell you anything with regards to that. I can tell you that that was hard for me personally. And yet I think part of the, the struggle is that it's important to understand at a minimum someone's perspective. And so that's part of it. You know, a stronger, a stronger team, a stronger America, stronger communities. You need to understand what makes those communities tick. And, you know, the black community is a, is a vibrant and vital part of, of our country. And so, you know, if, if anything, the amount and volume of people who are out protesting for justice, equality, all those big words for the, the black community, it's, it's a good sign. And part of this is we've got we've to turn the mirror on our country a little bit more. And, and that's an uncomfortable thing, but that's, that's where growth comes from. So I'm trying to learn along the way. I, th- I think a lot of us are. And I think that, look, it really helps if, if you have someone around and you can talk to them, you know, we were in our garage here and we're, we're chatting with uh, Chad and we're, there is a video component. We can see each other, even though it only comes out as, as audio. And, you know, we've met Chad face to face. We've spent a little bit of time with him, which also makes it easier. So if you have a little bit of a connection with someone, I, I think what he's saying is, hey, you have a license to it's okay. You can say, Hey, can we talk about this? I feel like that door has been opened now and there's a lot of value that, that comes from, from walking through it. Listen, not everybody has the same experience growing up and, you know, we all have variations of, of something, but you know, there are some relatable things that we can, we can all go to the well on. I mean, like, you know, Jason, you had a different upbringing than I did. You moved around all the time, um, you know, different place schools, you know, every year or two. You know, I lived in the same community and there was a lot of diversity and I had a lot of interaction with, you know, people of a lot of different races. I mean, Jacksonville surprisingly was the place where a lot of immigrants came in and, and, you know, it was, you know, majority of the schools, there was almost a 50% um, black and white racial divide. So, it's just a different, different type of experience. And, and yet, and yet there's all, I'm still learning, you know, that there's things that I'm still learning all the time. And that's kind of the, we can't just be like, okay, yeah, I did that. Check the box. It's, it's like constantly asking ourselves like, Hey, are, are, is this really, you know, do, do other people have the same sort of you know, opportunities that I have and how can I, how can we both work hard together and make America, you know, the, the, the country that we love, right? It's not really about, I think there's always this, this competition, like, well, this is, this lot will be taken. And, you know, it's like, wow, I would just want, I honestly want like there to be the best person in, in the job or accepted in the school or, you know, in that, you know, the merit, the true meritocracy sort of situation. And, you know, we, we just have some more work to do to, to make that a reality for, for the black community. And, and that's, that's what this conversation is about. All right. So here's a, a common theme you'll get from, from the GORUCK community. It's time to go out and, and 
be a little bit uncomfortable. This is a little, might be a little bit different than picking up a log or something, but do the work, do, do the work. And so maybe go, go find someone, go work out with them and go, go ask them about their lives. So thanks so much for, for listening. We, We appreciate your time and we'll catch you next time. 